Alright guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tooth Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 11th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, I welcome in my good friend Sam Snelling uh, over at rockhamnation.com. Uh, we've had Sam on the podcast many times before, and for those of you who have listened uh, to the episodes we've done with him, uh, really one of the most knowledgeable people you'll find, uh, not just on Missouri basketball, but on SEC basketball as well. So I always enjoy catching up with him, and uh, we did our usual kind of run-through of as many things as possible uh, when it comes to uh, SEC basketball. We hit on pretty much every single team uh, in the league, had a little bit of discussion uh, on each of them, uh, some more than others, as we kind of look ahead at some teams that, that could be uh, SEC title contenders uh, going into next season, uh, maybe some teams that I'm higher on than, than Sam and vice versa uh, going into to the season, as well as kind of looking into all the different uh, dynamics uh, that are going to be involved in this 2019 uh, 2020 season because there are just so many different things when you look at these teams and I think you're going to kind of sense a common theme as we go through our discussion uh, of really just unknowns as well as just there could be so many different teams that wind up in different spots around the SEC because that sort of margin for error and kind of looking at the different rosters we've said this in the past but I think specifically going into this season there is so little that separates possibly eight, nine different teams in this league. Um, it's going to be very fun to kind of see how the whole thing unfolds. So uh, Sam and I went into all things SEC basketball. We did spend some time talking about Missouri, of course, uh, early on. Spent a good uh, you know, little bit talking about Missouri and kind of the expectations for Conzo Martin's team going into next season. Uh, and for my opinion, why they could be one of those teams we look at as a sleeper uh, going in and as well as kind of grouping them in uh, with the, all the other teams as well. So if you're an SEC basketball fan of any school, uh, this is going to be a conversation you should enjoy. Uh, and like we said, we kind of have uh, put together our thoughts on these teams right now, but those are going to continue to change as we go throughout the offseason, as we talk to more coaches, as we kind of get a better feel uh, for teams and kind of exactly what the rosters are going to look like because as we say many times throughout this conversation there is one thing that's still out there uh, that could really change the landscape for four or five of these different teams and many of you listening uh, know exactly what that is or know exactly who that is uh, so we go into a bit of that as well so uh, really enjoyed the discussion always do with Sam uh, it's just a lot of fun so let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with uh, Rock M Nation writer Sam Snelling. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Hoops podcast. As mentioned, my guest is Sam Snelling, and uh, you know his voice by now if you've listened to this podcast, and uh, many of you, I'm sure, have listened to Sam's podcast over at Rock M Nation uh, and all the great work they do over there. Sam, uh, we're, we're back at that point now. We're in the off season. It's early June. It's time to sit here and tell everyone exactly how the entire 2019-20 season is going to unfold because... As we always say, there's nothing better than predictions uh, in late May, early June, I think. Uh, those are usually the most correct uh, predictions <laughs> in, in my estimation, uh, especially when you consider that. So for Missouri fans, 
uh, going into this podcast, I was pretty sure I knew what the Missouri roster was going to look like, and and lo and behold, they signed some JUCO big kid, and and there's a whole nother body on the roster now. So, and I know that there's a, some other rosters that still have to figure things out. I know like Arkansas still has to kind of trim some fat and whatnot, but. Uh, I think we have a, a good idea of what the league is going to look like next year. Yeah, you said it. I mean, Conzo Martin uh, kind of sneaks in again, and it seems like this has become a recurring theme uh, each offseason. There's a guy that pops up that you just don't really expect. And uh, you mentioned a seven-footer, uh, Axel Okongo, who is a Juco kid. And I know you don't know you know, a ton about him. Like we said, if you look at the stats, I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot there. But it, it's kind of hard to, to get that sometimes when you're talking about uh, the JUCO ranks, but that does fill uh, Missouri scholarships for next season. But I guess, you know, just initial reaction to, to getting someone like this, you know, it's a seven-foot kid uh, and maybe how he fits in. Obviously, we have no idea of rotation-wise and all that, but just, just I guess, you know, how do you feel like a guy like this is going to fit into the program moving forward? Well, I think at worst you have a big body in practice that can lean on people. Um when you have uh, room on your roster, and I think this is sort of uh, one way that, that Leonard Hamilton at FSU has sort of always put together his rosters, is if you're going to error, error on size. And uh, and so while Okongo is a guy who certainly looks to be a little bit of a project, uh, he didn't really play a lot. Uh, you know, we've, we've tried to gather some information, and actually my uh, my, my friend and and uh, also, the other writer at Rockham Nation, uh, Matt Harris, was reaching out to talk to uh, the lead scout for Juco Advocate uh, tonight to try to get a um, better idea of how Mizzou got involved and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But from what it looks like, uh, Okongo is a guy who might f- be able to fit into a few minutes in the rotation. Uh, you know, But for the most part, I think Missouri is going to find its, its you know, minutes at the five with Jeremiah Tillman. Uh, and Reed Nico, the guys who were there the last couple of years and, and really filled that role well. Well, let's just go ahead and jump into Missouri because I think, like we said, people who followed you, you guys have talked about them a lot already this offseason. Me, um, I put together my really long-winded podcast about a week ago that I was expecting to have about 30 minutes on, and I ended up doing it for an hour and 15 minutes solo. Um, <laughs> that's, that's something. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but I think they're a team that, you know, they have really grown on me as you kind of go throughout the offseason. And I always say I kind of look at things right after, you know, the previous season. You at least kind of get some idea of what things are going to look like the following year. But now with with all the early entrants in the draft and all that, you just never know and transfers too. But but I think Missouri is a team that that just continues to kind of grow on me just looking at them on paper because, again, that is all we have to go on right now. Um, and I don't know whether it's just the returning production because it is going to be you know one of the teams in the SEC that has the most re- returning production, or if it's just sort of the the arrival of someone like Drew Smith. And I you know maybe it's the combination of the two and getting Tillman back as well. Um, when you just look at things, you know, like we said, we're looking at everything on paper, but when you look at Missouri, what are maybe the biggest things that stand out to you just about the roster going into next season? Well, if Mark Smith is healthy, um, and I, you know, I know he had uh, season-ending surgery on his foot, and and the staff fully expects him to be back and ready for the season uh, and be ready to go really for the the majority of the off-season workouts. He is he is not back to full speed yet, but 
what I think you have is you have with with Smith uh, and Drew Smith and and Torrance Watson, who I'm as high on as anybody on the roster. Uh, you have a trio of of guards who are really capable uh, of of carrying a load offensively, and something that that Missouri really hasn't had on a consistent standpoint. And and also on top of that, you have guys who have been a part of the program for multiple years now. Um, one of the the things that I think most coaches strive for uh, when they're building their roster is they want continuity. Uh, and I think when you look at Year over year, Missouri is going to be a team that is going to have the best, uh, if not the best, at, at least probably top three of returning production uh, and guys that are young and and really had to do a lot to figure themselves out last year. And I think what is going to happen is as you kind of go into the season, you're going to see a lot of the preseason prognosticators. You're going to see a lot of uh, you know media around the SEC look at Missouri and look at their record last year. And think, oh, well, they weren't very good last year. They are bringing a lot of guys back. But when you're not very good, uh, you're probably not going to be a whole lot better than you were last year, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think when it comes to Missouri, uh, the, the the level of production that they got late from uh, from a couple of their freshmen, Xavier Pinson and, and Torrance Watson, which happened to kind of coincide with uh, with Mark Smith's loss, and Mark Smith was a very efficient player all year long. And I think when you add in Drew Smith, like what what you're going to see is I think you're going to see a Missouri team that I think the ceiling for them is probably like fourth in the league, but I think probably I'm I'm more comfortable with them as like a a, a tournament team, um, but probably more like in the seventh, uh, maybe sixth, uh, if they have kind of a, a couple breaks. Uh, but I really think this is a team that is going to surprise a lot of people who just sort of dismiss them by looking at what they did last year. Um, I, overall, their defensive efficiency was really good last year. Their offensive efficiency was kind of up and down. Um, but now you're getting Drew Smith, who is really efficient at at Evansville, and a guy who is already on some some draft boards uh, going into next year. Uh, and then you couple him with with Watson and and, and Mark Smith, and I think you. You just have a roster that is going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, and that's what I think, too. You mentioned continuity. I think that is sort of the biggest thing because, like you said, I mean, you had that freshman group that came in last year and, and did get all the minutes that they got. And it's like, you know, they, they played in so many games. And, and I think the biggest thing about it was kind of what you said in terms of because the record wasn't great, it, you know, not a lot of people were watching Missouri game in and game out. Um, from a national perspective, just because it was a team that, that everybody said, you know, it's a team that's around 500, uh, the way they finish the season, and you just kind of look at it like that. But, you know, everybody gets a year of experience under their belt. Now they're older, and, you know, they've been through that grind of the SEC. You bring all those guys back. Uh, you add the guys into the mix like we talked about. But f- for me, it's still, you know, Jeremiah Tillman is still the guy that, that I think is going to get so much attention. And we were sitting here. Uh, when he first got to Missouri, uh, and we're talking about all the potential that's there for him and just the different things that, that he can continue to improve on. Last year, uh, you know, he, he plays 25 minutes a game almost. He averages 10 points, around six rebounds. Um, I think he was able to improve in some areas. Certainly the fouling thing was something we, we've talked about, was a common theme. Um, but as you look at this season, and certainly there's still things, you know, he's going to have to work on uh, to take that next step to where he is someone that's going to be able to play 
at the NBA level. When you just look at his individual game and maybe those improvements we talk about, um, what, what are you looking at most in terms of how it's going to help Missouri, but not just that, but also maybe help him, like we say, get to that professional level as well? Well, it'd be interesting if he uh, if he sort of continues on the path that he's he's had the last couple of years. I mean, a lot of people sort of point point to his fouling, um, but I actually did a little bit of investigation into like you know games that he had either four or five fouls and how many minutes he was playing in those games versus his freshman year, uh, and there was a, a noticeable difference in the games that he was. Uh, learning to kind of play with foul trouble and 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 the number of games where he was playing like fewer than ten minutes was uh, was way different than it was as a freshman. So he's certainly learning from that aspect. Um, his footwork and and his hands and his ability to kind of move around the rim are excellent. Uh, he doesn't really like to step away from the basket. And as we know, the NBA is becoming more and more of a league that that sort of prioritizes. Uh, skill and 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 the ability to uh, defend multiple positions, uh, and so one of those things that I'd like to see, you know, Tillman do is 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 not just the ability to kind of get out and sort of hedge on a ball screen, uh, you know, and and maybe force a guy out and then retreat and get back to your guy, but but can you get switched onto a guard and hold your own, you know, and can you uh, on your own on your own ball screen, you know, pick and pop and bury a fifteen footer and. Uh, and do these kinds of things because I think the ball comes off his hand nicely. I mean, he shoots the ball well. If you saw him shoot free throws last year versus his freshman year, I mean, you can just see that yeah. there's a, a level of improvement in his shooting. And I think if you if you're able to kind of get him out in space and and get him some decent looks and get that confidence going, and I think you can really kind of build him up. And and I don't think he's he's never going to be a guy like Jonte Porter who's going to shoot 43 percent from three point range, but. Uh, if you could just make him a threat to to knock down jumpers, then I, I think that's something that's going to make the offense better. And kind of transitioning that, you know, we talk about the offense. Certainly the defense is something um, I think that, that that's kind of been the thing that they've leaned on, and that's no surprise. Conzo Martin's done that uh, throughout his entire career in terms of the style that they play. But, but just Conzo Martin himself, and, you know, it's so weird to kind of look at his first two seasons there because it's been such a unique sort of situation in the way things have unfolded each year. And obviously we're talking about Michael Porter and we're talking about Jonte Porter uh, in terms of how things kind of played out for them in those two seasons, uh, knowing what happened from an injury standpoint. For Missouri fans, and just from your perspective, um, how, I guess, is he been viewed maybe these first two years knowing, like we said, we went into that 2017-18 season where the expectations were certainly really high in year one for him, knowing uh, that, that Michael Porter was coming in. And like we said, with the way things have played out here uh, now with the injuries and all that, um, do you think th- there's been any sort of drastic change from, from a fan perspective in terms of how they view him or just from your perspective uh, what have been the biggest things you've sort of took away from his first two seasons now as he enters year three, which I think everybody always talks about, you know, year three is sort of that can be that turning point when you're at a program uh, and maybe you're finally getting everything sort of in place that you want. Well, I will say from my perspective, and this is one of those things like when you, uh, and I, and you know this, like when you're a basketball guy, like, you hear people talk about other coaches that you don't follow regularly. Yep. Um, and, and there were things that I had read and heard and, and, 
and seeing around about Conzo Martin and sort of the level of expectation you could have and and that he would certainly raise the floor of your program, but don't expect too much because uh, the style of play that he he you know he chooses to play offensively is is really uninteresting and non-creative, uh, and and it's one of those things where you're probably going to be uh, good, but never great. Uh, and certainly, I think the jury on maybe the last part is still out. I mean, Conzo Martin has to. Uh, has to prove that he can kind of get uh, the program to another level. And I think I think Missouri is a program that you can do that at. Uh, I mean, we've seen Norm Stewart in the past and uh, Mike Anderson and Frank Haith like, you know, have these uh, these kinds of teams that that have protected seeds and are are really dominant through the regular season and uh, and never quite having the the you know the tournament success that I think Missouri fans want. but um, but while I think that this there there's a whole lot of reasons to still remain skeptical on Conzo Martin, I personally feel like I have seen somebody uh, who is far more equipped uh, to be a head coach at this level and be prepared uh, than I think I expected. Um, overall, Martin is a guy who uh, does preach toughness and defense. Uh, he's opened up his offense, and the offense that they run is 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 new and modern. Uh, they don't play with the kind of pace that I think a lot of fans would like yet, but when you consider the program that he was taking over and, and the kind of roster turnover that they had to endure, yeah. I mean, it, it's understandable that you don't want to run and gun with, with Jordan Geist as your point guard. And I don't mean that as a slight to Geist at all. I mean, I'm, I think I've become one of the biggest Geist cheerleaders of, of anyone. Um, but when you have limitations in your personnel like you want to kind of control the pace uh and i think what we're going to see and i think this year is going to be a a good marker is missouri is really going to have probably 10 guys that that will play on a regular basis and with that kind of depth i think what you're going to see for the first time is you're going to see Conzo martin kind of open up a little bit with tempo and if he does that uh and he's able to kind of get the kind of recruits that that he wants to get in then i think you're going to see Missouri where Missouri fans want uh, the program, which is like a top four program in the SEC. Um, but certainly I think the fan base right now is still very, very much behind him, uh, kind of understanding what Kim Anderson yeah. left him, uh, you know, like, and, and without kind of bagging on Kim Anderson, it was obviously not a great hire for Missouri. Um, it's important to kind of realize that, even though they made the NCAA tournament the first year, like the overall rebuilding of the depth was always going to take a little time. And so I think year three, four, and five are going to be really interesting for Conzo. Yeah, and I think adjustments are, are the biggest thing that, that's kind of stood out to me. Because like we said, I mean, you, you go into a situation where you, you've went into two straight seasons now uh, with your best player. You know, you're, you're planning things around that. You're building things that you're going to do around that. Um, and then you, you do have those situations where you have to now all of a sudden you have to adjust on the fly and you have to kind of uh, put other things in place. And to me, that's what kind of stood out the most over these past couple of seasons, just maybe the way he's adjusted. And like you said, now that he does kind of get you know a roster where you feel like you can go a lot deeper and you have some different options that maybe you didn't have when you first took over the program a couple of years ago, 
I feel like just th- those adjustments and really just learning from, from these two years and kind of knowing um, how you can tweak certain things and maybe the that part of the process, I feel like that's going to be sort of a real benefit for him too going into this season. Well, yeah, and you can even like look at, uh, you know, I, I even heard it two years ago when they were in the tournament and there are a lot of the Tennessee fans who are watching Florida State just, you know, beat the hell out of Missouri. Yeah. in the first round of the tournament and everyone's just like oh here we go here's Conzo in March like this is what you <laughs> expect I'm like like he's playing Brett Rao major minutes and for for your listeners who don't know who Brett Rao is I mean he was a walk-on and a guy uh who you know played hard but certainly not a guy that you want getting major minutes in the NCAA tournament I mean I, and and that was going seven deep into their bench and Brett was the seventh guy off the bench and the uh, the sixth guy was Michael Porter Jr., who months right. later the NBA said, uh, "You former number one overall draft pick are no longer worth a lottery pick. You're going 14 to the Denver Nuggets, and you're going to sit out the rest of the year because you're not healthy enough." And so right. that guy, those are the two guys that were playing for Missouri. Uh, so I think we can kind of give Conzo a little bit of a break when it comes to. Uh, Missouri's performance in in March and and the number of bodies that he had available to him. Yeah, no doubt. And, and like we said, I think this is sort of that year where you look at it going in and and you've mentioned it, just looking at the roster and kind of those adjustments and really the style of play. You can kind of see some things uh, really sort of kind of unfold there that maybe we haven't seen uh, these past couple of seasons. But let's kind of transition that into kind of looking at the overall landscape of the SEC because you mentioned earlier kind of looking at Missouri's potential place in that, where you could see them finishing as high as fourth. Um, but there's so many other teams to me that are, that are kind of right there in that sleeper sort of group, and we'll get to those. But let's start at the top because I think that's where everyone kind of looks around right now, and certainly Kentucky's the team we always talk about every single season at the top, and I don't think there's any reason for us to – to go into Kentucky so in-depth because there are 37 Kentucky's other Kentucky's going to be good, Blake. <laughs> yes, they're going to be good. And let me just tell you, in case you didn't know, there are 37 other Kentucky basketball podcasts out there. Um, you can find plenty of information on them. Um, but when you tie them into everything, for me, I think the biggest thing is when you look beyond Kentucky and you start looking at that next group, I said this on the podcast I did last week and kind of looking at everything just from a, a basic point of view right now and you just look at rosters and expectations and all that. For me, I think Florida's that next team, and I think Florida is that next best team maybe right now. Now, if they were to, to get Kerry Blackshear, I think you can make a legitimate case that, that Florida can be better than Kentucky going into next season, and you could put them at number one, and I probably wouldn't be uh, too upset about that just because I love the young nucleus that Florida has. Yes, they're still young, but that freshman group, that sophomore group, I just think they're going to fit together really, really well. Um, for you, when you look at the SEC, and, and like I said, we'll go through lots of these different teams and just kind of touch on them a little bit, but – let's say the second best team right now, if we're going to just know that Kentucky's going to be really, really good, like we said, um, who, in your opinion, at this point, feels like the biggest threat uh, if we're putting Kentucky at the top? So that's actually a really tough question for me to answer right now. I'm not as in love with Florida as a lot of people are. I'm not doubting their talent. I think they... uh, they are very talented. I'm still kind of waiting for Mike White a little bit. 
Um, Consistency has been a problem. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been really inconsistent since he's been there. They did have one uh, really good year where they, you know, kind of had, I think there was a lead eight they went to. Um, yeah. You know, he was, he was left, you know, some really good players. Uh, they're still kind of, I think they're finally kind of filtering out, uh, you know, some of the, the late Billy Donovan guys who maybe didn't quite fit. He's still having a lot of roster turnover. Um, he's, he's taking guys. I'm not quite sure like why they're taking, uh, like, you know, just as an example, and I don't necessarily mean to like, uh, call any specific player out, but you know, if you look at who they have on the roster and, and like Nemhard and, and Locke, um, two really, really good guards, you know, Keontae Johnson on the wing. Uh, and then you bring in, you know, Trey Mann, who's, I think, considered one of the best uh, freshman point guards uh, coming in. Uh, so why, why are they adding, you know, Quez Glover? You know, and nothing against Glover. Like, I, I've actually got to see Glover play, and I think he's a really good player. But, but Florida's adding him for a position, and, uh, you know, you almost look at when what time they're adding him, and you're wondering, like, okay, like, you know he's going to play sparingly at best behind, you know, those yeah. three or four guys. So, and, and he's going to end up transferring. So it's just like I... You're, I mean, you're I'm adding skeptical. to your strengths instead instead of addressing <laughs> your weaknesses, which to me is is clearly right. the front court. Like that's clearly right. the weakness. Yeah, exactly. And and you're having to replace and a guy who is by no means an offensive wizard, um, but a really good defender in Kavarius Hayes. Uh, you lose a lot of depth at the front court, uh, and I, while I think that there is a lot of talent. Uh, I also tend to be a little more skeptical of young talent being collected on teams that are not Duke and Kentucky and really having a lot of success with it. Like I think Duke and Kentucky get the benefit of the doubt at this point that they're always going to be good because they are always good because they almost always have the best players. And, and Florida, while they're adding a near Kentucky like class, uh, I don't, I don't have that same feeling about them. So I think, I think Florida is going to be good. I think, I still think they're probably top four or five, but I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to be the second uh, team. Now, I will say, if they do get uh, Kerry Blackshear, that does answer a major part of their front court. Uh, and if they put him in position to sort of make plays and facilitate offense, I think that could be uh, a really, really dynamic offensive team. Um, but I'm still kind of waiting on Mike White and, and whether or not he can kind of put that product out on the floor. Well, this is um, why I bring you on. So, because <laughs> I've just moved Florida, just while, while you've been talking, I've moved Florida from two to the play-in game. So we're, <laughs> we're putting them on Wednesday night now. But no, 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 and that's what we said. I mean, I think you can pick apart, and this is this is probably a good point time to but bring this really, up too. There's, there's a ton of fluidity. Yes, from, exactly. From, from even from the top spot in Kentucky all yeah. the way down to maybe. 13. Sorry, right. Vanderbilt. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. This does feel like a season, and I, I can't remember I was talking to somebody, but it does feel like a transition season for the SEC because of, of several different aspects, because you lose a lot of talent to the NBA. Uh, we're talking about Grant Williams, Jared Harper, the list goes on and on, all the Kentucky guys. Um, you're, you're losing all these different guys to, to the draft, and you're replacing them, yes, with some really good recruiting classes, but it goes back to the point you just made. You got a lot of teams that are going to be really young. And, you know, we kind of go back to that Mississippi State and to bring them into this where 
it feels like a couple years ago we're looking at Mississippi State we're like man they can be really good but then you look up and you're like okay well they're 351st in experience nationally and then you look up the next year and like well they're still 330 something and it's like <laughs> are they ever going to get older and and that's where I think you look at sort of this year where you've got all these different teams that we can feel good about in a certain sense we can find positives for a lot of these different teams uh pretty much everyone but you can also say maybe this is a year where we can also feel a lot more comfortable pointing out that there are some you know glaring weaknesses with pretty much every team in the SEC like we said we look at Kentucky we know the talent's there but Kentucky still has question marks I don't think there's any doubt about that we have them every year in terms of their chemistry uh, maybe their three-point shooting ability all those different things we talk about every season but it does feel like a year where like you said we could sort of see some things where we're able to question a lot of these teams because there are some things that we just don't know yeah I really think this is if there ever was a year that that we're going to get it completely wrong in the preseason. This is probably the year. Uh, I just think like, so for me, let's say Blackshear doesn't choose Kentucky. Uh, But we all at this point assume that, I mean, he's, he's looking like he's going to be in, uh, in the sec. I would say as long as it's not Texas A&M, which I still think is a possibility. If it's one of Tennessee, uh, Arkansas, or, Florida, right? Or the others? Yep. I think I any one of those teams with Kerry Blackshear on them uh, could be a threat for the second second spot in the league. Yep. I mean, and that's what that like that's how thin the margin is because if you leave uh, Blackshear off the Razorbacks, I think they're middle of the pack. Um, you know, uh, bubble land for the NCAA. Yeah. Uh, if you're talking about Florida, I think Florida is certainly definitely in the NCAA conversation. Um, I'm just not convinced that they're like a, a protected seed. Um, if you're talking about Tennessee, now Tennessee is a team who lost a lot, but the level of experience that they have when you couple, uh, you know, Lamonte Turner coming back, uh, you know, J- you know, Jamal Johnson maybe finally getting some of his own. Zeve Pons is a guy who. Uh, I just I love his athleticism and his ability to kind of you know start all kinds of crazy plays. If you give them a solid rotational big, and not just a solid rotational big, but a guy who's going to give them double figures, then I think you're talking about them possibly being you know second, third, you know fourth in the league as as opposed to right now, which I look at them, I think okay, that's it's like a uh, you know six through nine maybe, um, and so that's kind of like what I mean when I talk about fluidity. Uh, it would not surprise me to see Mississippi State 12th. It wouldn't really surprise me to see him 5th. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Tennessee, I'm glad you brought them up because they're the team to me where I look around and everyone knows how I feel about these preseason top 25s, and there's a reason I don't do them. <laughs> um, or excuse me, not preseason top 25s, way, way, way too early top 25s. Uh, there's a difference. But, you know, I see Tennessee you know, in the top 20 in some of these, and, and I – I'm just like that doesn't make any sense I don't see it at all and you know and again that's that's not a knock and like you said you do have guards I mean Lamonte Turner Jordan Bowder there you're bringing in you know Josiah James too who's going to be you know an impact freshman he's going to come in and play right away Um, but but that does kind of looking at the margin where Blackshear changes the outlook for all these different teams and that's why it's so hard uh, to kind of place them but 
you know, there, there's a there's a group of teams, and I could probably, you know, I could probably exchange all three of these teams, and we could throw in another three and have the exact same conversation. But I think Auburn, LSU, and Alabama, to me, are three teams when we talk about kind of the national perspective and you look around at kind of how people are gauging certain teams, and none of these three are in the, in the Blackshear sweepstakes, so we can at least feel good uh, knowing what they're going to have on the roster pretty much. Um, when you look at these three in particular, is there maybe one of these three you feel like that um, has a better chance than the other two to, to kind of be up there, you know, in that two, maybe compete for an SEC title? Because I'm telling you, it's so hard to kind of differentiate because, look, you look at Auburn. I love the Auburn's recruiting class. I love that they're able to bring back, you know, two guards and Samir Dowdy, Javon McCormick, uh, Austin Wiley. You got McLemore coming back, all these different guys. But you know what? You have to replace Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and Shumo Kiki. And it's like. Yeah, the, the amount of usage that they're replacing, yeah. you know, the number of possessions is just like it's it's really high. They're, they're bringing back a lot of bodies. But they're not really bringing back the like the production that those three provided. The guys who had the ball in their hands, and that's where when you talk about Mississippi State too, and let's just throw them in the mix too. Why not? Um, <laughs> all these different guys that that you're losing guards who had the ball in their hands so much. And look at LSU, Tremont Waters. I mean, he is a he's been one of my favorite players in the SEC since he stepped foot you know onto campus at LSU. And I just think, you know, yeah, they've got Javante Smart coming back. That They've got Skylar Mays coming back. Um, you know, they've got some of the other guys, Emmett Williams, Darius Days, all those different kids. But it's like, man, Tremont Waters, losing him, that's tough. And then you look at Alabama, where Alabama, we know what the story's been on them for the past several years. I think you and I have both gone into it saying, man, you really feel like it's there for Alabama to turn a corner. And they just were never able to do that under Avery Johnson. But now you completely flip how you feel like they're going to play under Nate Oates, and is that style going to translate right away to the guys he has on the roster? I think it will, uh, because I feel like, you know, Kyra Lewis, Beetle Bolden, we have no idea, you know, Javon Quinterly, uh, we laugh about NCAA waivers and all that, but I think you could flip a coin right now and talk about whether he's going to get a waiver or not. Um, it's just so many different interesting dynamics with all these teams, but I just rattled on for what feels like 10 minutes um, I don't know where to go. Just, just take your pick from anything. Just tell me why uh, you maybe like one of these teams over the others. Well, I, I agree with you. I like Alabama, uh, and and because the sort of one area of the court that they really struggled at was on the offensive end. And I think when you look at what Nate Oates provides, he he provides up tempo. Excuse me, a supercharged offense, and he's a guy that that really wants to get out and play with pace. Uh, and when you look at the the level of talent that they have and the kinds of athletes that they have, if they get some consistent outside shooting, I think that's a team that could be uh, like second in the league, yep. um, and 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 possibly you know really really surprise some teams. Um, you know, a team that I'm really like just not in love with, and I was you know already kind of feeding into this as you were talking about them is is Auburn. Uh, even though I I. I like their recruiting class. It, like the recruiting class is like one of those foundational recruiting classes where you have a lot of good players, but only one really great player. And, and I think Okoro is going to help them a lot, you know, but where, where are they going to get the, where are they going to get the minutes at, at, at the point guard and, and shooting guard position? I know that they've got, you know, Dowdy and, uh, and I'm forgetting the point guard's name. Yeah, McCormick. 
McCormick. Um, I know that they've got those guys coming back, but but those guys are not Bryce Brown and Jared Harper. And and we know what what made Auburn special last year was basically Harper's uh, unguardability, Bryce Brown's shot making, and Chumo Kiki kind of being a master of all trades. Uh, the other guys that that were there provided support, but those three dudes were the reason that Auburn had a special season. Um, so I just I just don't know. Like, and again, this is sort of one of those things where we talk about the fluidity. If they get a couple breaks to go their way, absolutely, Auburn could be right back in the top four. Um, but I'm just more skeptical of this roster than maybe the last couple of years, where where you know Pearl had built that foundation and was sort of filtering in. Uh, some high-level talent with guys to surround them with, and and uh, unless he finds another guy that you know was like Bryce Brown, who was barely a top 400 player, uh, that just explodes onto the scene, and I just I'm skeptical that he's going to do that. But I I just don't know how you count on guys like like Purifoy and Wiley, who have been good players but never really great players, uh, to sort of get them into that that elite tier. Um, you know, especially when we talk about the balance of the SEC and, and, uh, and at some point, like one of these teams is going to have somebody that sort of, uh, stands out and, and, and is kind of able to, to make the plays, uh, to, to, you know, give their team that, that edge. And I think you talked about Trey Mount waters, uh, as a guy who is very much that player. And, and this is why, and I really want to talk about LSU because I'm like <laughs> fascinated by the situation. Um, but so they lose clearly a, a high usage point guard who ran the offense was a late late clock guy did everything for that team, um, and now they don't really have a true point guard. They do have a lot of talent, and they are bringing back a lot of guys who were really good for them last year. It would not surprise me if LSU finished second in the league again. You know, like not again. They finished first last year, but just the sheer fact that Will Wade is going to be coaching on the sidelines for this team is hysterical to me like this so first of all like we all know what happened right i mean we all know will wade cheated got guys all that kind of stuff that's fine like i'm i'm the biggest pay the players guy there is um but (laughs) let's just say that you're you're the guy that gets caught so number one it sucks to get caught it absolutely does Number two, now you have to go and play in the SEC and on the road against all these teams, you know, game after game after right. game, and put up with not just the fans, but the media constantly talking about yeah. you on a wiretap. So, <laughs> I mean, not that I feel bad for Will because he's the one who put himself in this situation, um, but it's definitely going to be something that that team is going to have to overcome. It could be, it could provide a bit of a distraction. Uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of like, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, all these off the court distractions. I think it, it ends up, you know, uniting teams more than anything else, but, uh, it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting season for LSU. Uh, and all things considered, I, I, they're, they're just a team that brings back a lot of talent, uh, and, and certainly looks like an NCAA tournament team. And I just can't make any sense of of how it got to this point. Like like how Will Wade still has a job is is just it's amazing to me. It's so strange when you look at the Trent and Wofford thing because you know I think a lot of people were saying, well, you know, how's this going to affect 
um, you, you know, who they bring in and all this other stuff. But then you get Trenton Wofford, and it's like, well, he's someone. Well, <laughs> he's going to step right in, and and there you go. There's another piece towards you know trying to repeat as as SEC champions, and it's like. My goodness, it's just it is. It's such a unique situation w- with them, and um, but but they're one of those teams. Like we said, you throw into that group and feel like if everything goes right, um, they can be right up there, you know, near the top. And it's just it's so fascinating to me. And you know, we, we've ran through so many different teams, <laughs> and I'm telling you though, but there's another team to me that I find equally fascinating when you group them in with all these others, and that's Georgia. Because I think Georgia is that team to me where you look at them, you're bringing in what could potentially be the number one pick in the 2020 draft in Anthony Edwards, and you're surrounding him now. Uh, Rayshon Hammonds is back. You know, that guard group, they still have a lot to prove, that that older guard group, but you're bringing in a lot of other, you know, high-caliber freshmen too, and yeah, that's where the youth comes in. I think if Georgia would have gotten Nick Claxton back, I would feel pretty confident in saying that, my goodness, look out for Georgia. Even they could get up to that number two spot. Uh, but even mm-hmm. without him, I think it's still a very sort of fascinating situation because you feel like Tom Crean's getting his guys in there, and now when you have someone like Edwards who's going to completely sort of change how they play, that just makes it all the more interesting to me. Yeah, so I think the question is going to be like, how much of a load is Edwards able to take on? Because I, I think we we look at the guards that uh, were already on the roster, and and all those guys were just have not been very efficient. Um, even though there are things that I like about Jordan Harris, there are things I like about Tyree Crump. Uh, you know, but to me, the thing that I sort of I keep waiting on is Rayshon Hammonds to sort of break out and. And he just hasn't quite done it. And and sure enough, like Nick Claxton became the breakout guy for them this year. And even though the record didn't really show all that well, uh, you know, Claxton was really terrific for most of the season and uh, almost to the detriment of their team this upcoming year. And and so I think it's because they, they lost Claxton why I'm still sort of willing to be a little bit more wait and see. Uh, I just, I, I'm skeptical Again, like we kind of talked about the same situation with Florida, bringing in elite talent is is fantastic. But outside of Edwards, like none of those guys are really top fifty. Um, they're all in like I think like the fifty to one twenty five range, which is all mean they're going to be very good college players, right? But uh, but how many of those guys are you going to be able to count on uh, to to you know be an efficient guy to, to have an offensive rating of of more than, you know, 1.1 or 1.2 points per possession. Uh, and maybe Edwards is good enough to where he can he can be the high-usage guy and, and just sort of allow those guys to, to fit into roles a little bit more, and that'll be enough. Um, but uh, there's certainly a team who I think, because of Edwards' talent, are capable on any night of winning a game. Uh, and but but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them sort of be like 500 in the SEC and maybe squeak in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I don't really see them as a threat for the league. And I think maybe what's I'm curious about, and you mentioned earlier, is kind of Edwards and maybe how that does sort of open things up for Hammonds, and maybe that takes some pressure off of him, and we kind of see him uh, be a little more free flowing and able to to kind of capitalize on some things with them, but. 
Well, and and we know we know uh, Tom Crean is going to coach them up offensively. Yeah, so if, right. if they can figure out a way to guard anybody, um, <laughs> then they they might capture another couple games. They could be okay, but you know, <laughs> and that's I mean, look, Ole Miss too. I think is a team that I'd throw in there as well. And I think experience uh, is something where you know we talked about kind of last year. They brought in a lot of newcomers. They're still bringing in a lot of newcomers this year. Uh, it's just a case of you know Kermit Davis getting his guys in there. Uh, trying to, to kind of build that foundation and, you know, losing someone like Terrence Davis, which everyone knows. Uh, Terrence Davis, one of my favorite players in recent years, just watching him develop. Uh, and you see kind of how he's done, you know, also like the, the NBA draft circuit here and the combine, how he's impressed and all that. Uh, seems like someone really rising up there, uh, up the draft boards. But you still bring back Pre and Tyree. You still bring back Devontae Shuler. Um, you know, I don't know. Ole Miss is another team where I could easily see myself looking at Ole Miss, and I was telling people this on the podcast I did last week, you know, when I initially sat down and just went through 1 through 14, and I would never release that 1 through 14 list because um, I know what <laughs> Make people— Make everybody mad. Exactly, because, again, <laughs> I did this pretty much on May 1st, so I would never release a 1 through 14 that I did from early May— but, you know, I had Ole Miss in that top six range because I, I think you see the potential, uh, but like all these other teams we've talked about, you kind of look at things and say, well, maybe, you know, just the chemistry, not knowing how everything's going to mesh with some of these new guys, but they do bring some, some players back, like we said, that, that had the ball in their hands a lot in Shuler and Tyree, and, and now maybe you build around them and see what you get. I, I'm just kind of fascinated by them too. Well, I love Brian Tyree. I, I just think he's he's such a dynamic player. Um, but the guy that, that I think is probably the most interesting prospect on that roster is Blake Henson. Oh yeah. If Why don't they I get him? productive I minutes, him. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's a guy who has a he can do a lot. You know, he 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 can play kind of in that short corner uh, and 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 be sort of a small ball four. He can stretch it out on the wing. He can shoot the ball. If he's able to take like another step and and improve in all the areas that maybe he struggled with uh, during this past season, be more consistent, uh, and really be that third scorer for them, then I think Ole Miss is a team that I yeah, that should probably make the top six. Yeah. Um, there are still a lot of questions for me about what they're going to get on the inside. Uh, you know, I'm not really in love with KJ Buffin. Um, I know that he'll probably, you know, play a lot. I, I think he's a, a decent high energy guy. Uh, they've got a good recruiting class. Uh, you know, I do think Crowley is a guy who can help them uh, off the bench. Uh, and, and it's a good thing for a guy like that, that he's not going to have a huge load placed on his shoulders because of, you know, both Shuler and Tyree are so dynamic. Uh, that It's really, you're going to have a hard time pulling them off the floor for more than maybe a few minutes at a time. So, um, it, it's certainly going to be an interesting season for the Rebels. Uh, and I, I think, you know, like you look at kind of what they were able to, to get last year. Uh, and I think if they're able to equal that, I think you have to consider it a success because mainly in on the inside, there's just way too many questions. And uh, and you're you're still going to have to ask Brian and Devontae to, to carry a huge load. But if Blake Hinson can kind of step into that that role and be a three guy or even past Schuler as as the number two guy, like I, I think that they could be a lot better and surprise some people. And I'm willing to give Kermit Davis the benefit of the doubt. He's someone just kind of knowing what he's accomplished and 
And just the consistency, I mean, he's had year in and year out and just seeing what he did in year one, you know, we had a lot of questions about that team last year and for them to get to the tournament and all that, I just, um, you know, it's hard not to look at it and feel like he's going to find the answers uh, to some of these questions. All right, we're going to rapid fire through the rest of these because um, I have it in my contract that I have to discuss all 14 SEC teams at some point. <laughs> but don't worry, we're going to group three of them together. Uh, but before we do that, Arkansas, we, we mentioned them a little bit earlier. Um, you know, with Blackshear, like you said, I think that completely changes their dynamic because you lose Daniel Gafford, and certainly if you can bring in Blackshear, um, that's that's huge. I mean, that's that completely changes what you're going to be able to do. Uh, but in terms of guards, I mean, look, you look at what they have bringing back from a guard standpoint, and I know Isaiah Moss just transferred to Kansas, but they've still got some really good guards, and um, I think it's just to me, it's just intriguing to see kind of how. Muss's uh, style and how everybody kind of fits into to what they want to do there. Yeah, the, uh, the the dynamics of that roster are certainly interesting to me. Right now, they're over the scholarship limit. Um, so it's by two now, right? If Moss, yeah, I think I think they're two over. Uh, losing Moss to Kansas certainly helps. Uh, they, but they still have have to you know kind of do some trimming and and that's where it kind of gets interesting to me so I, i'm almost more interested in in arkansas's off season the rest of the way and than i am their regular season because i i think must a guy you can kind of count on to at worst make arkansas you know competitive on a nightly basis uh i'm still not necessarily convinced that uh he's like he built great continuity at nevada i think he he assembled some uh some good talent and and had a had a nice little run for a few few years there but uh, but from a, a, a roster building standpoint, he came in to a roster that really didn't need a whole lot and just started adding bodies. Um, so who's going to be eligible? We don't know. Um, if, if they get Vanover, uh, eligible Connor Vanover, the transfer from Cal, uh, I think that he's a guy that has sort of, uh, enough size and shooting that he can kind of give them. Um, you know, like an, an added dimension that that they're clearly going to miss with with Gafford leaving. Um, you know, the ability to protect the rim and all all that kind of stuff. But uh, Jimmy Witt is a guy who I think can help them a lot. Uh, so they're going to be good. Um, I'm just really kind of curious, like how those minutes are going <laughs> to be, you know, distributed with Isaiah Joe. I think is was probably one of the more efficient freshmen in the league last year and a really, really great shooter. Mason Jones I've been a big fan of. Jalen Harris does a nice job at point guard. Um, Still got so, Desi Sills there. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they got... know, and guys who I think have, have good futures as basketball players. So how are they going to fit all these together? Yeah. Um, you know, because I think Witt's going to come in and he's going to command a lot of minutes. Uh, it's going to be interesting in, 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 in Fayetteville. And I'm, I think they're going to be better next year than they were last year. Uh, however, I'm really just kind of interested to see uh, how Muss sort of handles, you know, life in the SEC on a year by year basis. And if this is something that's that's really truly a long term fit, um, and kind of knowing you know Muss's background and he's sort of popped from spot to spot and uh, you know a little bit of the NBA background, it wouldn't surprise me if this is like a come in, you know, make Arkansas competitive and, and, and good and maybe threaten to win the SEC one year and then bounce after like four years. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, they're they're the team, probably one or two teams that I'd have the hardest time putting somewhere if I had to make my one through 14 right now because I just don't 
there's just so many different things. You know, like you mentioned, there's just a lot of different dynamics to it and, and the black shirt. Like effect. who would you start right now? Exactly. That's what I'm saying is you look at the roster and you're like, well, I mean, you, you know, you know, if you feel like Isaiah Joe, Mason Jones, you got to put Jimmy Witt in there somewhere. It's like, man, you've got a lot of different kind of combinations that you can work with, but you don't exactly know which one it's going to be. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're the team that I, I'm kind of having a – a hard time getting a complete read on right now, but that's that's okay because it's June. Remember, everyone, yeah. it's it's June. Well, Let's it, not forget. And here here's something I always like to play in the off season. I do it at Rockham Nation, and and like you can just you know if if you're a a fan of your whatever team that you cheer for, uh, I always have our fans do a all right. Pick your top eight because everybody thinks Mizzou is going to play like ten guys, right? So so who's gonna who's gonna fall on the back end of those last two minutes? And then you still have three guys on scholarship. That means who are basically not going to play. Are they going to be happy not playing? Right. So do that with Arkansas. Who are the top eight guys? Uh, and then see the number of guys who fall on the other end of that. Uh, and and how are they going to handle not playing? That's it, Sam. We're going to do this every week for the rest of the offseason. I'm going to bring you on. We're going to talk <laughs> about one team. We're going to pick their top eight, and we're going to take an hour to do it. Um, but no, that, it is a good point, though. Like You really do... Uh, if you look at it that way, that gives you a much better idea of kind of what things look like, at least for now. Um, and, you know, th- there are some tough decisions in there with, with some of these guys and not knowing uh, who's going to be where, but that's uh, that's what's going to make the season fun. And then um, the other three teams that, that I, I put this on, on last week's podcast and mentioned that, that I feel like these are the three teams, and we just mentioned Arkansas. I guess I could throw them in there, but – the biggest unknowns, I feel like, with these three teams, and obviously that's South Carolina, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt. Um, I don't think it would surprise anybody if Vanderbilt's near the bottom because we kind of know what their roster looks like. Yes, you know, I like Saban Lee. I like some of the pieces they have there. But we know that there are so many things we have no clue about because Jerry Stackhouse is now the head coach, and we don't know how they're going to do things there and kind of how that's going to be different. Uh, than what Bryce Drew did, and you're coming off a winless season. So there's so many different things there, and that's why you know it's hard to go completely into Vanderbilt because you just you have no idea. Um, but Texas A&M, Buzz has got a lot of guys in there. Um, you know he's brought in some recruits. I mean, I was laughing. You know, he had the one day where he signed four different kids committed on the one day, and um, yeah. you know he's brought some good talent in there. And I think there's kind of some underrated talent that they have back. I mean, Savion Flag, I feel like Josh Nebo got better. Uh, TJ Starks is still there. So you don't know how that whole dynamic's going to go, though. You don't know exactly. I really like Josh Nebo. Yeah, I like, thought he's he He's well. one of my favorite, like, bigs. He's, he's, he's yeah. got some he, – he'll find a, a really nice role under Buzz and, and be a good player. I'll just say that. I thought him and Becca Wulu were kind of a very sort of underrated – kind of duo they were a nice year. little combination yeah. weren't they i thought they were very you know i don't know but they, they had a lot more problems than just them but i really i like the way they progressed during the season honestly well and tj starks drives me crazy like he's he's a uh, a little too high usage for 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 my taste for his skill level uh i'm a bigger fan of wendell mitchell who i think i think him and flag uh you get cassius mcneely i, th- I think that's going to be uh they're, they're going to be uh, a lot better than they were last year, at least more consistent. Yeah, and that's why, you know, for them, I feel like they got better, too, down the stretch last year. I feel like individually there, there were a lot of guys that got better. You know, early in the season last year, they were not very good at all. 
Um, but they they made some progress, but it just wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, I don't think we weren't we weren't really surprised uh, at them making a change there because we knew Buzz was the guy that was sort of waiting uh, for that, and um, so so he's there now, and they'll certainly have uh, some opportunities there, just like all these other teams in year one. But that leaves us with a team where uh, I'm just gonna flat out say it, Sam. We we were laughing <laughs> about this before we started. South Carolina, I do this every single season, and at some point, I, I just, I don't know what it is, but, like, there are just so many different things that I am sort of just not sure about with the South Carolina team, and you, you mentioned this before we came on, and like I said, we were laughing about it. You just kind of have to assume Frank Martin's going to figure some of these things out, because he finished fourth in the SEC last year, after let's just i mean their their non-conference play last year had to be one of the most frustrating uh non-conference sets of any sec team in recent years just watching them and some of the things that they did i if i was frustrated i know frank martin was frustrated because uh it was tough to watch at times but they turned it around but now you lose chris silva and you know i mean I don't know. I like A.J. Lawson. I like, you know, Keyshawn Bryant's back. Uh, they're going to get Justin Manaya back from injury. He was someone I was really high on. Um, you know, didn't just didn't play a whole lot last year because of injury. Mm-hmm. They bring in some new guys. Um, Mike Coatsar, the, there's just, there's still, you know, I don't know. And it's it's replacing Chris Silva on both sides of the court. Because offensively, they just have not been consistent enough, I guess, for my liking. Um, they got the fourth in the SEC, like we said. But um, I don't know. Like, I can't get a good read on South Carolina, and I just have no idea kind of what to expect from them. Well, uh, with good reason. I mean, 11-7 and seven and ranked 70th in Ken Palm, I think, says a lot about what South Carolina was last year. They were a team that, that benefited from winning a lot of close and tight ball games. They uh, had a bit of a favorable schedule uh, and were able to, to you know, get some wins. Maybe they should or wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but one of the things I think is, is really going to be important for, uh, for them to sort of figure out is, is with Lawson and Brian and Manaya, are they going to be able to get consistent shooting? Because uh, I think that's the thing that really did them in in the non-con is they just shot the ball so poorly. Uh, and that's one of the actually one of the reasons why, like to me, and I, I obviously Chris Silva is a, a huge loss. I mean, he he was a lot. So was Sonny Gravit. The guys that played a lot and did a lot for those teams. I think the guy that that I'm low key, like a little bit surprised he transferred or, or was uh, Felipe Haas, who yep. a, a guy who wasn't really like a a big name or really didn't do much, but he was a guy who was a threat to shoot. And because of that, it, he was drawing the opposing big away from the rim. And that was allowing, you know, Bryant, who is a fan, just a fantastic athlete uh, and a guy who isn't a great shooter, allowing him to really attack the rim and, and, and do so without a lot of fear. And the same thing for, for Lawson. Uh, and, and they also get TJ Moss back, who, you know, I was sort of intrigued by what he was going to be able to bring to them. So, um I thought it was a bold move to sign uh, Mike Kotsar to uh, another deal after his 10-year deal at South Carolina expired. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but uh, but he's back. But this is a team who I I think is, is they're looking more 
like I think they probably should have been last year, which is a little bit more like 11 uh, loss team versus an 11 win team. Um, but I still think it's kind of like we said that whenever it comes to Frank Martin, you just have to sort of assume that he's going to win and probably at least one or two more games than, than you expect. And that's sort of what South Carolina did. And then they just got lucky in another couple games. So I think before the season, I thought they were going to be about seven, 11 or six and 12. And, uh, and sure enough, he won them a couple games with, with, you know, grit and determination. And then they got lucky in another couple and that's how you get to 11. Their, their numbers last season were, were so fascinating to me in conference play. They're the best <laughs> yeah. three-point three shooting percentage of any team in the SEC in conference play. It's just the wildest thing ever uh, because you just didn't really associate them with that. And then you looked at their two-point percentage. They had the worst two-point percentage of any <laughs> team in the SEC. They had the 13th best free-throw percentage. So it's like, I mean, you're going from one extreme to the other with them offensively, and that's where I think – you just kind of never know, and that's going to be the frustrating part. And now you maybe add in those questions on the defensive side too, because Chris Silva's not there. I mean, you're talking about you know SEC Defensive Player of the Year, um, that caliber of a player. He's not there, and so that opens up some questions too. But again, I just doubting. Yeah, like, do you, you know. trust those guys? Like that same the roster they have coming in to shoot forty percent from three. Right. Again, forty one percent from three. Right. And on top of that, do you also uh, trust them well enough to? Because they were also the number one three point shooting defense. Right. Uh, and and so much in, in in college basketball nowadays, basically, it comes down to did or did you make or or not your three point shots and. And that's what they got in league play. They made their shots, and the other teams didn't. And that's how, like, that's how you win games. Yep. So incredible. I, I don't know that I trust them to 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 perform to that level, which is why I think they they level off a little bit this year. Yep, pretty wild. But they they like all these other teams are are just one that that we'll continue to kind of look at and and feel like we know everything we need to know. And then when the season gets here, it'll completely change, and we'll have no idea. Uh, two weeks in, we'll start shuffling around trying to figure everything out again. But um, all right, Sam. Well, as always, uh, we run through as much as we could possibly run through here in an hour, and uh, I think we hit on a lot. There's going to be some fan bases that are unhappy with you. There are going to be some fan bases that are unhappy with me. Uh, but as I always say, that is okay, folks, because it is June. And uh, I guarantee you our opinions on a lot of the stuff is going to change by the time <laughs> we get to November. So keep that in mind before you uh, send out your hate tweets and all that. Um, but, Sam, uh, listen, man, it's always fun. Uh, go ahead and plug uh, everything you guys got going over at Rock M Nation. Uh, I know it's going to be a, a busy off season over there. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, uh, a lot of stuff kind of in the works. Uh, me, and, me and Matt Harris both uh, – do a lot of planning and, and and pump out a lot of content. I think we're already up to like forty or forty five pieces this off season alone. Uh, so go to rockamnation dot com and and read up about that. Uh, we have plenty of SEC breakdowns along with uh, Mizzou breakdowns. If you're curious what Mizzou is up to, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam T Snelling. I, I I tweet from there. You you'll have to put up with food and drink tweets, but there's <laughs> occasional basketball stuff there too. Um, and I look forward. I I, I love interaction interacting with uh, with fans of other teams so so hit me up absolutely the discussion is good we're talking about sec basketball in june that's a good thing um hasn't always been that way and if we if it has been it hasn't always been positive so um (laughs) but at least maybe now it is so um sam always enjoy it man uh we'll talk to you again here soon all right thanks blake anytime all right that was the conversation with rocket nation writer sam snelling and 
just uh, again, I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground there uh, in that hour, and there's so much more we could have went into. And there, there's so many different aspects of maybe teams we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about that we could have went into, but uh, we will definitely have Sam on the podcast again uh, as we go throughout the offseason and really uh, talk a lot more about each of these teams as well as Missouri uh, kind of looking at what we can expect from the Tigers uh, going into to this season. And really it's just going to continue to be a feeling out process as we look around at all these teams. Uh, that's what makes the offseason fun is there's so many different uh, kind of opportunities you get a chance to, to look at different things within the, these programs and and try to compare you know what we think we're going to see uh, but as the the preseason media polls have suggested in recent years uh, there are going to be some things that a lot of us get wrong uh, but that's what makes uh, it really enjoyable really uh, because we're not doing this to be right we're just doing this uh, because we love it and Sam's certainly in that group as well uh, so we have a lot of fun doing it and we'll continue to uh, talk SEC basketball as we go throughout the offseason. So uh, thanks again to Rocket Nation writer Sam Snelly for joining me here on the podcast, and thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, be sure you're subscribed. Go over to Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast app you use. Search for Southeast Hoops. That way you can get these uh, episodes delivered to you. As soon as they go up, uh, more interviews with coaches and analysts throughout SEC basketball. i uh, got some coaches in the works. Uh, going to be a lot of fun to catch, with, catch up with these guys. Uh, and talk a little bit about their team here as we go throughout the summer as they're getting a better understanding of kind of what their expectations are going to be as, as they start, you know, off-season workouts and all that sort of stuff going throughout the summer. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun to catch up with them and uh, other analysts uh, around SEC basketball. So uh, be sure to subscribe, head over to southeasthoops.com, uh, catch all the stuff we've got going on over there as well. Uh, lots of SEC basketball stuff uh, on the way. So thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. See you.